Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 to 17. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another, so that there are no divisions among you, and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels amongst you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. And another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptised into the name of Paul? I am thankful that I did not baptise any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say that you were baptised into my name. Yes, I also baptised the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't... I, did, I don't remember if I baptised anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptise, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. The Apostle Paul did not speak very often about the cross of Christ. Uh, Let me say that again, just in case you you thought you misheard. It's true. There's not very much in Paul's letters about the cross. Uh, I feel I should uh, quickly explain before too many are spluttering in indignation. Paul speaks frequently and passionately, of course, about the death of Christ, the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus. It's right at the heart of everything that he says across all of his letters. But it's very interesting. He only refers some 20 times across all of his letters to the way that Jesus died, crucified on a Roman cross. And of those 20 times, five of them, five of them are in the passages that we're looking at this afternoon from his first letter to the Corinthians. And so it should really make us stop and ask and think and ponder, why is, why is he doing this? Why is he drawing attention at this particular point? Instead of just talking about the death of Christ, why is he talking about the cross of Christ, the crucifixion of Christ, drawing our attention to the manner of his death, crucified on a Roman cross? And I want to persuade you this afternoon that the answer lies in Paul's huge desire in this letter to get the Christians in Corinth to let go of their worldly attachment to respectability and social approval. And as we reflect on these two things too, it should help us to let go of such attachments. See, it goes like this. Paul knows that you cannot be a person of the cross and have the world around you approve of you. 
Everyone knew at the time what crucifixion was. Crucifixion was a deliberately brutal and inefficient way of killing someone. It was humiliating and shameful. It was a protracted, gruesome, public spectacle. To put it bluntly, it was like a freak show of the most gruesome and ugly kind. And it was used by the Romans as a tool of political and social control because, frankly, nobody in their right mind, nobody in their right mind would want to be associated with someone who'd been crucified. Nobody, that is, says Paul, looking very sharply at the Corinthians and quite sharply at us too, nobody apart from you. Because you follow Christ. And Christ was crucified. Crucified because of you. And crucified for you. So why am I hearing, says Paul, that you're doing these things. You're grouping around different Christian leaders and personalities. Rather than being united and focused in following Christ and him crucified. And instead of saying the thing you should be saying, which is, together, you should be saying, I belong to Christ, who was crucified for me, you're saying these other things. You're saying, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. I know what you're doing, he says, and I can see right through it. You're doing what other people in the culture around you do. You know, you choose a prominent person, a wise person, a teacher or a philosopher, and you gather around them, you join their group, you establish your identity and your social position as part of that group, and you're doing it now as Christians because that's the way the world around you works as well, because others are doing this kind of thing too, and it makes you feel comfortable again. It makes you feel normal and it distances you from the disgrace and the shame of the cross and all that Christ's crucifixion implies about your own sin and guilt and brokenness. And what's more, says Paul, look at what this is doing. This is fragmenting the body of Christ. It's denying who you are in him. But listen to me, says Paul, verse 13. Is is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? So here's our first challenge this afternoon. What are the ways in which uh, we distance ourselves from the socially unacceptable parts of the Christian faith? It might be in ways that the Corinthians were doing. It might not. I I knew someone at college. He was so attached to the theologian Karl Barth. I think Paul would say to him, rather bluntly, was Karl Barth crucified for you? And for myself, I don't know about you, but I, I do find it relatively easy to talk about certain things, but not others. I find it relatively easy to talk to people about, you know, abstract theology, Philosophy, perhaps, church history, Christian personalities, 
uh, perhaps particular Christian groupings or church politics. These things are quite easy to talk about. Much harder to talk about the things people find strange or offensive. Much harder to talk about the person of Jesus and actually use his name, say the name Jesus, how hard that is sometimes. Harder to talk, much harder to talk about the realities of the Christian faith, the center of it, the sin, the guilt, the shame. My sin, guilt, and shame. Or the reality of God's hatred at sin and his rights and settled and just punishment of sinners. So hard to talk about these things. And yes, hard to talk about the disgrace and scandal of the cross. So this afternoon, let's reconsider the cross of Christ. And uh, not just in some abstract fashion, some kind of distant fashion, but in all its brutal reality. And let's see afresh Jesus Christ and him crucified and say together from the heart, this is what it's all about. And I'm with him. I'm with him. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 31. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? (coughs) For since in the wisdom of God, the world, through its wisdom, did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs, and Greeks look for wisdom, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So here is the problem. 
the Christians in Corinth would rather have associated themselves more closely with a, a particular Christian leader uh, than the foolishness of the cross. They wanted that association, the comfortable association, not the hard one. They didn't want the shame and humiliation of being seen to follow a crucified Christ. And it was more comfortable to go the other way, to just group around different Christian leaders. It felt more normal. But Paul is reminding them in this part of his letter The Christian life is not a new playground for playing old games. The Christian life is not a new playground for playing old games. And he calls them and he calls us to shun such worldly ways. We're people of the cross or we are nothing. Christ was crucified for us. And if we're people of the cross, says Paul, then any pretension to worldly approval should be shattered forever. But why is this all so important? Well, verse 18 here, the message of the cross may well be foolishness for some, but to us who are being saved, says Paul, it is the power of God. And it's in these verses that Paul unpacks this for us. Things that the world thinks of as as foolish are, are actually true wisdom. Things that the world considers to be wisdom are actually truly foolish and lead only to destruction. As I said earlier, in the ancient world, no one in their right mind would want to be associated with someone crucified. You can see it here in verse 23, this is true for Jewish people who saw the cross as a sign of, of God's disapproval and even curse. And it was true for Gentile people too. Uh, For all kinds of people, having an association with someone crucified was social and religious suicide. But Paul says, verse 18, such people are perishing. Verse 20, such so-called wisdom God has made foolish. Verse 21, such people do not know God. And as we meditate on Christ and uh, him crucified this afternoon, uh, Paul knows, and I know, that all of this stuff, it may not make any sense. It may not make any sense at all to the person who has never felt the weight and despair of sin and guilt in their heart, to the person who has never felt the crippling pain of shame or humiliation, to the person who has never felt keenly the brokenness of the world or has never been on the receiving end of mockery or abuse or oppression. To such a person, it's absolutely true. Christ crucified won't make any sense. It will seem foolish, embarrassing, weird, at best some kind of enigma. But to the person who has felt all or some of those things to the person whom God knows has called them as Paul says here not because they're someone but because they are no one because they're weak because they're lowly because they're despised and he's called them to shame those thinking highly of themselves to the person who knows 
Jesus Christ was crucified for them. Bearing all of that sin and wrath, darkness, curse, shame, humiliation, guilt, despair, betrayal, brokenness. Bearing it for them. To that person, the so-called foolishness of the cross has become the power of God to save. And for that person, Jesus has become the true wisdom from God. That is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 Verses 1 to 5. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. It's very true. We don't like being thought of of others as weird or useless or strange Neither did the Corinthians. Uh, Who would? The Corinthian Christians we're discovering here didn't want to be seen as foolish in the eyes of the world. And in the ancient world, it was the worst kind of foolishness to be associated with someone crucified and all the shame and degradation and humiliation that implies. And so even if just a little bit, the Corinthians are are shying away from the cross of Christ, or at least taking their focus away from Christ and him crucified, even if just a little. Uh, They're focusing instead on something the world around them is very familiar with, uh, linking themselves to particular personalities, um, making groups, finding their identity in those groups. All of which no doubt left them feeling a little more normal and comfortable. Now, as we were saying earlier, we we do very similar kinds of things, of course. We group around people and ideas all as a way. And the danger, of course, just for us as well, is that the focus is removed from the centrality of Christ and him crucified. In fact, there are multiple ways in which we can try to distance ourselves from the embarrassing strangeness and scandal of the cross. For example, I wonder what our, our hopes and fears are for an event like this one this afternoon. Suppose I, I were to invite someone along to a, an event like this one, perhaps this afternoon, or one of the other events that, that are happening at, in this church family over the weekend. What would my hopes and fears be? 
What am I hoping for? Well, I might secretly be hoping that they'll be uh, perhaps struck by the numbers here this afternoon. Not many church buildings are, are this full this, these days after all. Or I might secretly be hoping they'll be impressed by the, the quality of the music and the singing, which would be a very easy thing to do. Or I might be secretly hoping, against the odds as it happens, they'll be impressed by what Paul calls in here in chapter 2, verse 1, the eloquence of the speaker. Or verse 4, his wise and persuasive words. Not much chance of that, fortunately. Those might be my hopes for an event like this this afternoon. What might I be fearful of? Well, I'll be fearful of anything too weird or embarrassing. I won't want that. But again, Paul would warn us. The Christian life is not a new playground for playing old games. We need to let go of such worldly hopes and fears. You see, what we're doing here this afternoon can only be a good thing if we're gathered in numbers to express our unity in Christ Jesus and him crucified. To confess that joyfully, together, openly. And it will only be good if the music is speaking of him and speaking of the cross, which if we've been listening, it has been. And it will only be good if the readings and the talks have been done in weakness, which, believe me, they have been. And it will only really be good if the message of the cross has not only been spoken, but heard by you, by all of us. The message of the cross that speaks of apparently foolish things like the glory of a king betrayed, Shamed, mocked, cursed, despised, humiliated, and broken on a Roman cross for the sake of his people. For in hearing and believing such things, the strange power of God can be at work in us through the Spirit. And this afternoon we are so grateful for it. In other words, this afternoon, let's join in with Paul's resolve here. It's there in verse 2 of chapter 2. Famous words, but wonderful words that all of us, I think, should aspire to have as our resolve. Not just now, in the moment, but now and now onwards and forever. To know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. To know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. 